0: What I want to share with you today is salt and fire, a little salt and fire today. I want to salt your life, and I want to give you some uh, Holy Ghost fire. So stand with me, Mark chapter 9, we're going to go uh, Mark 9, verse 49 through 50. I taught and touched on this about a month ago. So if you're sitting there and saying, oh, he's got dementia and he forgot, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Mark nine forty nine 49 through 50, for everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you be se- will season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Father God, we open our hearts to you today to have you pour the salt upon us, Lord God, that purifies and the fire, Lord God, that empowers us. Lord, in, in this crazy world, in the time we're living in, boy, Lord, if there was ever a time where we need, we need purity and power, Lord, it's this hour. Yes, Lord. We pray, Lord God, we're open to what you have for us. Lord, we want all that you have for us. For in Jesus' name we pray this, amen. amen. So what does fire and salt have to do? Where do they come together? How many of you remember this? They come together in the sacrifice. And essentially in the uh, grain offering. Leviticus 2.13, Every grain offering of yours, moreover you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. So there are five sacrifices that you see in the book of Leviticus, okay, one of them, okay, is the uh, grain offering. And the grain offering was a free will offering. The other four offerings, the guilt offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, trespass offering, they were all mandatory. But the grain offering was an offering, it was, it was a free will, you kind of, this is a great little diagram that somebody did uh, it's just a voluntary offering, right? It's, it's not because you have to, it's because God deserves it. So it, it's salt and fire come together in the grain offering. Now, you've heard, you've heard people say, you know, well, you are the salt of the earth, or somebody says, you know, that person is worth their salt. You ever hear that one? That's kind of an old one. I see some of the older folks nodding, younger people, like, what does that mean? Um, Essentially, the, the concept of salt, salt is pure. You know, pure salt. It, it, salt, is, it, it's, it's purity. It's, it's whiter than just about anything on earth. And the concept of, of somebody being the salt of the earth means that they're, they're pure. Their motives, their, their values, their actions, their words are pure. And fire... You ever hear somebody say that guy's on fire? I think there's a song, right? That woman, that woman's on fire, right? That girl's on fire, right? What does it mean when somebody's on fire? It, it, if somebody's on fire. They're powerful, right? There's a, there's a there's a power coming from them, a power, you know, to to influence. So I want to. I just want to tell you a, a quick story. Forty years ago, I was um I was in the fitness business. And I was uh, running the USA Health and uh, Racket uh, Club, and um, I spent a lot of time. I was a competitive weightlifter and bodybuilder. Spent a lot of time in the weight room, and I had a group of kids. It was probably one of the most exciting times. Really, it was it was one of the most exciting times of my life. You know, one of the one of the most exciting things in life is it's not just you achieving your goals and your dreams, and it's when you when you're seeing other people, empowering other people to achieve their goals and dreams. So, I, I I worked with. I mean, pro athletes I worked with, uh, some of the New York Yankees. I, I actually trained a guy who won the Cy Young Award, uh, trained professional football players, uh, Super Bowl champions that, you know, played for the Giants, football players that played for the Jets. But the, I had a group of kids from Tappan Zee High School. And uh, my wife would, would remember some of these uh, kids. And they were, they, were all, they were all big, and they were big, and they were strong. But they were slow, and they were fat. So um, we worked with them, and we put them we put them on a nutrition plan. We kind of sent it home to mom, and we coached mom on you know they were eating you know kids right they're eating Burger King, um, McDonald's and um, Kat your son prayed in the Sunday school and he was thanking the Lord we must give a lot of thanks right he was he thanked the Lord for everything. And then he thanked the Lord for McDonald's, okay? <laughs> so, so the, the, the kids, like, they like McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts and Burger King. And, and right where that, where that school was, they were surrounded by all these fast food places. So They were fat. They all, they all were carrying, I don't know, 30, 40, 50. They're so obese, obese. Very common, obese football players. And so we, we put them on a, a, a program to get lean and then to develop power, so they, they were strong, you know, people, they, they, you know, they're, they're kind of big and strong, but they they were slow, and they didn't have explosive power, so we, we put them on a plyometric program. Um, today, I think if you work out, you know what plyometrics are. Back then, it was, it was Yuri Verkashansky back in 1964, this great Russian exercise physiologist developed plyometrics, and back in the 80s, it was just starting to catch on in America. But we put them on plyometrics, with explosive movements. They, we had them jumping on boxes and, um, and doing, doing push-ups, right? Pumping off the ground and slapping their hands together. And, uh, well, those kids, and look, they had great coaches, right? They, they had great camaraderie on the team. They're just a great group of kids, Right. Vinny I can tell you their names Vinny Yanta, Guy Colora, right? They, they went on and they won the state championship. They never lost. And then, and then they, um, five of them received full scholarships to, to schools. One school, one kid went down to New Mexico, played football in New Mexico, another went to Colorado, Michigan State. Another one. Um, another one was offered a, a full ride to Penn State. He's one of my favorite kids that I've ever coached, um, and he turned it down because he wanted to be a youth pastor. Wow! And he's a youth pastor up in New York State right now. Wow! That's awesome. So, um, just a, 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 amazing. But what, what is saying? What, what does this story have to do with the message today? We helped these kids become very lean and powerful. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, becoming lean and powerful. So let me start off by by sharing with you, I think in these times that we live in, I've been preaching for 40 years, if there was ever a time where I think people in the body of Christ, they need to become lean, get lean. So, you know, Jesus here, he's talking about salt, and again, we know what, it, what is salt? Salt is, is pure. Salt is pure white. It's, it's undiluted, it's unadulterated, it's unmixed. The idea here is, is, is get pure. Jesus said, "Blessed are the pure in spirit. I'm sorry, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But the idea here is to, is to get pure. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse uh, one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Well, that, that's a, a word from the Lord. Get lean. Right? Throw off the things that essentially, throw off the things that, that hinder, throw off the things that entangle, throw off the things that trip you up. Throw off the things that are keeping you from excelling, keeping you from growing, keeping you from maximizing your potential. I believe believe some of the key things that we should be experiencing in the Christian life, one is to know, and that is to know God. Throw off the things that are keeping you from knowing God in a deeper way. Throw off the things that are keeping you from growing. To know to grow. Are you growing in Christ? Are you being conformed to His image? Are you being transformed from glory to glory? Throw off the things that are keeping you from sowing. Think of that. To know, to grow, to sow. That's my mission in life. To know, to grow, and sow. That's what, I, that's what I live for. That's what wakes me up every day. That's what gets me excited about life. To know, to grow, and to sow. But are there things that are entangling you? Are there things that are ensnaring you? Are there things that are tripping you up from sowing into the lives of other people? Is there, hey, sin? Sin habits? Limiting beliefs? Fears, worries, anger, lust, gossip, lying—some addiction that's keeping you from running, running, and excelling. So we're called here to throw off everything that hinders. And then the question comes: How? So you're counseling people for years, and you know, just coaching people, and so the idea here is. Now, you need to get rid of this stuff. You need to get rid of the stuff that's holding you down. Holding you down in, in, in your walk with Jesus. Holding you down in your marriage. Holding you down in your families. Holding you down in your careers. You need to get rid of it. How? How, how, how do I change? How, how, do I, how do I make long-lasting, permanent change? And you all know this, right? Try to lose weight. What happens with most people lose weight? 92% of people who go on a diet, they gain all the weight back within, within like six months. Right? They, you know, diets, I'll just tell you this, diets don't work. They never have. They never will. They never do. They don't. Lifestyle change is, is, is what works. But you got some negative habit in your life, some limiting belief, and you're, you know, you're trying to change it. You're trying to get away from it. You're trying to dump it. And right, it's, it's, it's hard. It's just the same struggles. People struggling with the same things year after year after year. And again, they're being entangled, they're being tripped up. And it's keeping them from maximizing their potential. So I want to share with you the master's plan for permanent change. So in, in Mark 9, when Jesus is talking about salt and fire, just something to, to grasp onto. In the Gospels, okay, we see the good news proclaimed. When you come to the epistles, you see the good news explained. So what do you, you know, I, I say this, you always find a comparative passage in the Old Testament to the New Testament, and you'll always find an, explana, an explanation to things that Jesus taught in the epistles from Paul or John or, you know, one of the apostles. So the, the, the idea here is to have permanent change Permanent, positive, passionate change. There is a master plan. And you find it in Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, some of you who who study with me here on Wednesdays, you've heard me teach this before. Some of you may be counseled with me. You've heard me counsel you with this. But you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, that's, that's the, the sinful nature, that's that, that weakness inside of you and me, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on, notice, and that you put on, the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So, the the word here is this is how true change happens. You have to put off and you have to put on. The mistake people make is they're like, I'm going to stop doing. It. I'm going I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm, I'm going to stop lusting. Right? I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop this or I'm going to stop that. The problem is when you just simply stop it, it's not enough. You have to put something in its place to actually have change. So, how do you get the air out of a cup? You fill it. Right? You've got to pour something into it. That's the idea. It's not enough just that the cup is empty. You've got to pour it, something in it. That's, again, putting off and putting on. Now, Lenny, be quiet. When is a door not a door? That's right. A door is not a door, right? When it is a jar. That means when it's partially open okay, when it's something else, right, here's, here's a good illustration, a jar, okay, right, a jar, uh, a jam, a jam, <laughs> the idea here again is when it's something else, you, you've, got, you've got to stop doing the destructive behavior and you've got to put something in its place that's positive. That's how true change happens. That's how we, that's how we grow from strength to strength. So, here, here is what Ephesians goes on to teach us. When is a liar not a liar? Yep, good. You're on Wednesday nights, right? Yeah, right? Because you say, well, a liar's not a liar when they stop lying. No, that's, that's not the way it works. You ever see some people, they just lie, they, in fact, most people have become such a habit of lying, they just, they just lie all the time. They lie and they don't even know that they're lying, it's become so programmed into their subconscious mind that they, I mean, it's just, it's just lies, 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 lies. So it tells us, it tells us in Ephesians 4.25, therefore putting away lying, right, dump the lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So, when is a liar not a liar? Not only when they stop lying, but when they could become a truth teller. Then you speak the truth. Sometimes that hurts, right? Sometimes that hurts. When is a thief not a thief? So people say, oh, no, a thief is not a thief when they, when they stop stealing. That's not, that's not what the Scripture teaches. Again, what does it say? Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So when is a thief not a thief? Not only when they stop stealing, but when they work. They get a job. <laughs> they start a business. Instead of stealing from people, now they're earning it. And then they become a giver. And that's putting off the old again, putting on the new. When is a gossip not a gossip? Or a slanderer not a slanderer? You know, I'll just tell you something. We we talk about people murdering people and all these these, these, these tough things. You look at a lot of context in Scripture, the gossip and slander is put in the same context as a murderer. Because it's destroying somebody's character. So when when is a gossip not a gossip? Look at what it tells us again in verse 29 of Ephesians 4, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. When is a gossip not a gossip? Not only when they stop gossiping, but now they speak words of edification. They speak words that build people up. They're building. They're speaking words of life into the lives of other people instead of words of death. We have the power of life and death in our tongues. When is an evil, bitter, foul-mouthed knucklehead, okay, when are they no longer that type of person? And you look again at verse 31 and 32, Ephesians 4, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, right? They stop. And be kind to one another. What do they do? They put on kindness. They put on a tender heart. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. They put off the old, they put on the new. Again, it's not just merely enough just to empty the cup. You have to fill the cup. You want to change? You need to put off, and you need to put on. And you need to continue to do it. You know, people say, oh, it takes 21 days to develop a habit. I want to tell you something that's not true. That's not good. That's goofy. You need at least, you need about 60 to 70 days for it to really start to get programmed into your heart, looking the Bible, the heart, the subconscious mind, and modern day psychology. It takes you about 60 to 70 days for that to really happen and for change to become where now you're starting to be on autopilot. So now you're no longer speaking those words of gossip and slander. Now you're just speaking words of edification into the lives of other people. No longer are you lying. Now what, you, you know, what you're doing is, now you're just speaking the truth. And it just become, it becomes habit. But you have to stick with it for about 60 to 70 days for real change to, to occur. I'm giving you some life coaching, okay, today from the Scriptures. All right, number two. Just two points today. Last week I gave you 27. Today I'm giving you two. <laughs> Get power. Power. So in, in Mark nine forty-nine, for everyone will be seasoned with fire. What is fire a metaphor for? I want you to think of the positive, not the negative here. Fire is a metaphor for who? Yeah, the fire is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Right, in Matthew chapter 5.11, um, I'm sorry, it's actually Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Don't you love that about John, his humility? I was just reading, I was reading this morning, Matthew 14, about John. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So the, the Holy Spirit is always, you know, connected. That, he, that is a, fire is a metaphor for the Spirit. When the Spirit came at Pentecost, what, what occurred, right? The 120, praying in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came, right, divided tongues as a fire. Right? Let me read it to you. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Tongues of fire. You know, what is this picture of God empowering them. Right? It's power. From on high, just as Jesus had promised, right? Jesus said in, in, in Luke chapter twenty-four, twenty-nine, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So again, the spirit, the fire, it's always connected with, with power. It's power. The fire is power. The spirit is power. It's it's power for life. It's power to live victoriously, right? We live victoriously through Jesus and the Spirit of God and not as victims. We we live as victors. Not complaining, right? The world complaining and whining and blaming and they've got a thousand excuses for their situation. We don't live like victims. We live like victors. More than conquerors. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive right power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power when the Spirit comes. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it's, it, it, it's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, the fire. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there, there, there is power. And there is fruit. Powerful fruit, right? Right? The, the, the fruit of love. Can you use more love? Can you use more peace? More joy? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Right? There's no law, he says, against those things. Can you use more? All of that comes through the Spirit. Now... If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. If you're a true Christian, you've been born of the Spirit. You've been born uh, from above. Right? You can't be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said in John chapter 7, 37-39, it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, right? When you you believe in Jesus, you receive the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So when when you come to Jesus, you receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior, there are a number of things he does. One thing is you, you become justified. Okay, justified, you become forgiven of all your sins. He forgives you of all your sins because he paid the Christ and took them upon himself on the cross. So you're, you're, you're forgiven, you're, you're justified, you're declared innocent. The judge has put down the gavel and he says, innocent, never to be charged again. Another thing that happens, you become adopted. Romans 8, okay, by the way, justification, Romans 3 uh, Romans 8, by the way, you find this in Galatians 2, the same kind of pattern that Paul, Paul leads to us through the Spirit. Another thing that happens, you become adopted. You become into God's family. You become a child of God through Jesus Christ. A lot of privilege comes with that. A lot of privilege and a tremendous inheritance comes. You, you have a wonderful inheritance waiting for you that's going to blow your mind for the rest of eternity. And since it never ends, that's a long time. And then another thing that happens is what is called regeneration, justification, adoption, regeneration. And regeneration—think of regeneration. You, you're spiritually dead. <laughs> I was spiritually dead. I didn't think about God. I didn't care about God. You couldn't drag me into a church. I mean, I had—it I, wasn't—it wasn't even like being drawn. I just—I—I just—I was spiritually dead. I didn't want to hear about the Bible, didn't want to hear, look, you, you, whatever you people do, that's fine, I, was very, I had no problem with, with, with Christians or any religious people, live and let live, and, um, but I was an atheist, and just leave me alone, and I was, I was spiritually dead, when I opened my heart and invited Jesus to come in to be my Lord and Savior, I suddenly came alive, now I'm interested in spiritual things. I'm reading, I'm reading the Bible every day and praying and sharing Jesus with everybody that came within five feet of me. I was spiritually alive. My wife thought I was crazy. Can I tell them the story? She thought I was nuts because here was this guy who, you know, I mean, just we were married, we're happily married, and, um, you know, in the bodybuilding, gym business, and, and now I'm praying and reading the Bible, not, not all day, but I really like reading the Bible, and I'm not going to church yet, <clears throat> and um, one night, I'm sitting in bed, and I'm sitting like this, and I'm telling you, I'm twiddling my thumbs, and I was not thinking about Jesus, I was not praying, and Sue came in, and she goes, you're praying, she goes, you're praying, what happened to you, you're praying, she thought I was nuts, the family thought I was nuts. I was spiritually dead, and then I became spiritually alive. The Spirit of God had come into my life. That's what happens when we receive Jesus. You receive the Spirit. Every one of you, if you're, if you're a believer, you have the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22 Who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So when your husband asked you to marry him, what did he give you as a guarantee of the marriage? A wedding ring. That was the guarantee. That one day, right, we're going to get married. That's the context here. The Holy Spirit is our wedding ring. It's a guarantee. We're engaged to Jesus. He's coming back for us. When he comes back for us, you know he's going to take us? He's going to take us to the wedding supper, right, of the Lamb. Revelation 19. So, again, if you are in Jesus, you have the Spirit. If you've accepted Jesus, you have the Spirit. He is a guarantee. Now, look at, look at Acts 4.31. This gets a little complicated. So, every Christian has the Spirit. Jesus gave the Spirit to the apostles... On the night of the resurrection, where he appeared to them and he said, Peace be to you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Spirit. Now he had been raised from the dead, right? He died. He was raised from the dead. Now he gives to them the Spirit. On Pentecost, you have the baptism of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost to the 120. And as you go through the Scriptures, you see you see this thing about being filled with the Spirit. You see it in the book of Acts. You see it in a number of different passages. I'll show you just a few of those passages. To be filled with the Spirit. So look at, look at Acts chapter 4:31, And this is where, you know, it gets kind of confusing because I thought they had the Spirit. I thought they had the Spirit from, right, Resurrection Sunday. I thought they had the Spirit from Pentecost. Now, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So now there's 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 fillings. Billy Graham he he said it best. He goes, one baptism, many fillings. The idea is if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit, but are you filled with the Spirit? So what's, what's the difference between receiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit? There's a difference. So look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 21. And do not be drunk with wine. In which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. What happens when a person gets drunk? What do they come under the influence of? Right? The the, the, the alcohol is controlling them. Right? They say stupid things, they do stupid things, they act like fools. They're under the under the influence. I was a bouncer. I bounced in bars and clubs for years. You get, you know, the, the, the guy who is drunk, right? He's had too much alcohol, right? What do they get? They get beer muscles. And I saw guys that were 150 pounds go up against bouncers who, weigh, who weighed 250, 270 pounds. And when I was at my biggest point, I was about 270. I saw one of my one of my friends, one of my friends, George harine played played football for Penn State. George was 6'6. 330 pounds. And this guy comes up to him and, and we're out in the parking lot and this guy starts attacking him. He started doing some kind of kung fu stuff, you know, which... George picked him up and threw him over a car. And the guy slammed on the other side. By the way, that was the end of the fight. It ended really fast. You see the, you see the scene with Mike Tyson? This, this is when people are under the influence of alcohol. How stupid... You got this guy on a plane, if you haven't seen it, it's been all over the media, you don't pick a fight with Mike Tyson. You know, there are two people that I would run away from if they came after me, Mike Tyson and a guy named Brock Lesnar, who was UFC heavyweight champ. I ain't just, you know, if, if they just snarled at me, I'm running away. I mean, this, this, guy, this guy's trying to get an autograph, and apparently Mike didn't want to be bothered, so he kept harassing him, and eventually he threw a water bottle on him. Who does that? Who, who throws a water bottle at Iron Mike Tyson? Somebody who is under the influence. Jim Croce sing that song, You don't pull on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the winds, you don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Jim. You don't mess around with Mike. But the, these uh, alleviated, drunken people, I mean, they're, just, they're out of their mind. So, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be under the influence of alcohol. Notice what it says, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? To be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Simply, wonderfully. Right, look, look what he goes on. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. I mean, you got song. You know, when you have song in your heart, give thanks always for all the things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Right? Submitting to one. I don't have to have it my way. You know, some adults they have to have it their way. They don't get it their way. They pout. They sulk, right? It's it's submitting to one another. So I'll give you a picture here of being under the influence of the Spirit. It's like having a coach. He really is. You know, there's a lot of the comforter, the teacher, but he's our coach. And he's a coach who... Coaches us to be our best, to do our best, to, to give our best, to love our best, to serve our best. He, he coaches us. The Holy Spirit is our, is our supernatural coach. And he's working, right? He's always working to influence us, to teach us, to guide us, to encourage us, to lead us. He walks alongside of us. But he can still he can still be resisted. He can still be grieved. He can even be quenched, the scriptures say. So so you still have free. See, to be under the influence of the Spirit, it's not now I'm under the influence of the Spirit, and I will do exactly what the Spirit I do not have a mind, I do not have a will. That's not what wouldn't it be nice if that was the case, really? Lord, just just take it over. Remove, remove my will. But that's not the way that we still have free will. And again, we, we, we can resist. we can grieve him. We can decide that, you know what, I'm not showing up for practice today. You know what? I'm not showing up for game for the game today. How many people do you see doing that in the church, right? They're not under his influence. I'm not going to do what I want him to do. So the, the Word of God says, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. Persona- what, what, what makes personality? What makes us different from the animals? Per- personality speaks about, it. speaks about emotion, it speaks about intelligence, but it speaks about freedom of will. And the Holy Spirit, right? He has intelligence, he has emotion, and he has a will, and he can be grieved. Right? He can be be grieved. We can grieve the Spirit by ignoring him. He's trying to get your attention. We can grieve the Spirit by not doing what he wants us to do, by being lazy, by disobeying him, rejecting his his call, right? He calls the play. No, I don't like that play. I'm going to do it my own way. So we call our own play. He, he, can be, he can be grieved. I don't know if you've ever experienced. Right now, the Holy Spirit, I can tell you this as a pastor who prays, he prays for you, the Holy Spirit's grieving over some of your lives right now. What happens is you, maybe you've tuned him out so much, you can't even sense that he's grieving over your life. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16-22, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you want to understand what the will of God is? There's some really good direction in the will of God. And it says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So notice here, to quench the spirit is to put out his fire. The power. The power. That power source to quench him is to put, you, put you, you can put out, right? We see people, right? You see people, they were like, they were like on fire for God. Oh, that, what, what happened? That guy was so on fire. That woman was so on fire for God. They were, you know, they were serving. They were bringing people to the church. Man, they're just on fire. They're in the word of God. you think they're going to be preaching next Sunday. They're so on fire. And then all of a sudden, the fire's gone. And then they're gone. Because you can quench the Spirit. Notice again, rejoice always. You want to quench the Spirit? Start to whine and complain. You know, it says says we should not never come. Complaining is a sin. Philippians chapter 2, do everything without complaining. Just start whining and complaining and griping and moaning. Pray without ceasing. Does that mean we have to be you know, going through life on our knees? No, no, that's not what it means. What it means is to, it being, you're, just, you're aware of him. You're aware of his presence. You're, you're aware that he's in your life. In everything, give thanks. Want to quench the spirit? Become ungrateful. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do not despise prophecies. The preaching of the word well, I didn't like that. I didn't like that message. I don't, I don't, I don't like that message today. Just quench the Spirit. Test things. Want to quench the Spirit? Just go through life so open-minded, it's like your brain has fallen out. Right? You're, just letting, you're just letting in you know, just all this garbage that's, that surrounds you. You're going to You're going to quench the Spirit. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Just give yourself. Give yourself to evil things. You'll quench the spirit. You'll put out his fire. Some people in the church are good firefighters. So, everyone who is in Christ has the spirit. But not everyone in Christ is filled with the spirit right? Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is essentially to be under the influence of the Spirit. And you want to hear that. The the proper grammar from the Greek is, go on being filled with the Spirit. Go on living under the influence of the Spirit. Hey, by the way, let me say this to you. Try living the Christian life without being under the influence of the spirit and you're going to be one miserable christian i'm telling you want to see miserable want to see a miserable christian just find a christian who is not living under the influence of the and i can tell you that from experience because i've done that you become you become miserable trying to live the christian life without the influence of the spirit it's hopeless it's helpless, it's feckless, it's powerless, it's discouraging. Man, you're gonna be moany grony And it's passionless. You know the passionless church person? They have no they have no passion to come and work. I mean, I don't know about you folks. Sammy, do you look forward to coming here on Sunday and worshiping the Lord? Jose, do you look forward to worshiping the Lord on, on the Lord's Day? There's no passion for the, for the Lord. The world has taken over. There's no passion to worship the Lord. There's no passion for his word. There's, there's no passion to share him with, with, with other people. They're just, they're, they're, they're passionless. But they're not filled. When you get filled, what happens is you get the power. You get salt and fire. You become lean and powerful. So I want to I close this message, but I'm to share with you just in closing. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, just, just again, bringing you back to Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to come under the influence of the Spirit, to really have Him in your life, again, as that, as that guiding coach. He's now, He becomes your guiding light. He becomes your teacher, Right? He becomes the one, he's like the word comforter, paraclete. He's like the general who comes alongside of the Roman soldier and he encourages them. He encourages them. He fills them with strength. Encourage. He puts strength into them to go out and fight the battle. But you have to be willing to come under the influence of the spirit to be filled with the spirit. If you're not willing to come under the influence of the spirit, I don't want to do it God's way. I just want to do it my way. You will not be filled with the spirit. That's as simple as it is. Sorry. You could pray all you want to be filled with the spirit. You've got to want it. Do you ever notice this is true in life? You pretty much get in life a lot of what you want. No, no, listen to what I'm saying. Because a lot of people, they think that wishing for something, a lot of people are wishers. There's a huge difference between wishing for something and wanting something. When you want something, you're going to pursue it with a passion. Most people, it's just wish. I, you know, that would be nice. I, I kind of wish. I wish I could have with that person. I wish I could have that job. I wish I could have that life. I wish I wish. You know what wishing gives you? <laughs> <laughs> One time a woman came in here with a cell phone and it went off right when I was breaking the bread and I just rebuked them. And, uh, and then somebody told me it was this couple and it was the first time they were here at the church. And I was like, ah, I should have been calmer and more gracious. So I sent them flowers. And she called me up on the phone and said, I wasn't the one with the cell phone. (laughs) And she said, want me to give the flowers back? I said, no, you can keep them. (laughs) Wishing gives you a wishbone. What do you do with your wishbone on Thanksgiving after a year later, right? You break it. You know what wanting gives you? Wanting gives you a backbone. In fact, wanting gives you a backbone of iron, and you pursue what you want. So most people are just unhappy where they are, but they really... They, 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 when you want something, you go for it. When you want something, you're willing to pay the price to get it. When you want something, you're willing to sacrifice. I don't care what it is. That could be, it could be your career, it could be success, it could be your marriage, it could be your body, and it could be your spiritual life. You get what you want, most of the time. There are some other factors, Okay? So you have to really want to be under the influence of the Spirit. Secondly, you need to ask. If you really want to be filled with the Spirit, you need to ask God. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Right? Just You've got to be willing to ask. You want it? You want that influence? Ask God for it. And then I'm going to give you one more verse. In Acts chapter eight, seventeen, and you see this repeated throughout the book of Acts, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be passed on from a spirit-filled person to another person through the laying on of hands. But again, if if you don't want to be under the influence of the Spirit, we can lay hands on you all day. You're not going to get filled with the Spirit. And if you're not asking, you have to to be asking God to fill you with the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is, is, you know, we call it the second blessing. The first blessing is Jesus. The second blessing is Jesus ascended into heaven and he poured the Holy Spirit out. It's a blessing. It's, It's God wanting to give you his very best. He wants to give you his best. He wants to empower your life. He wants to strengthen you. He wants you to have that love and that joy and that peace. But you have to want it. You have to ask for it. So we're going to open the altars. And if you're in that place, we're going to lay hands on you today. I'm going to ask the elders... I'm going to ask the pastors, I'm going to ask the deacons to come up, and we'll place our hands on you. We're going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. So stand with me. If the altars fill, just stand behind people. Lord, we just pray to you. Holy Spirit of God, come. Come as you are, come as you will, Lord God. Come anyway. We see you manifesting, Lord God, in the scriptures, a number of different things that you brought upon people when you came. And I pray, Lord God, that just those who want you as the influence of their life, who really want to be filled, that they would come. And they would come, Lord God, asking, seeking, knocking, and that, Father God, your spirit would just flow. Your spirit would flow here, and you would fill them. In Jesus' name, amen. So those of you who would like to come, come. The worship team will lead us in song. I'll ask the elders to make amen. their way up. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Lord, Thank you, for goodness. the riches of your word. Amen. Just play soft because I'd like to sure pray can. when they, people come. people. Lord God, I pray this morning, hungry hearts, Lord God people wanting, Lord God, all that you have for them. Not shy, not afraid, Lord God, to step out of the crowd. But coming, Lord God, and asking for you to fill them with the Holy Spirit. Pray that prayer from your hearts right now. Say to Jesus, Jesus, I want your influence over my life, and I'm coming right now, and I'm praying that you, Lord, would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'm praying, receive. Just receive the Spirit by faith, by faith. Just receive the Spirit right now into your hearts, into your lives. Holy Spirit, just flow here. Fall upon, Lord God, those who are here and they're praying. Continue to seek Him. Continue to ask. Seek, knock. final tip stay filled with the holy spirit how just continue to praise and give thanks to jesus as you're going through your day and the spirit of god will be continuously manifested in your life so get lean and get powerful and go out and win a state championship today god bless you all the lord be with you all amen